Through the Storm, written and produced by Carmel Recknitzer, performed by Kelsey Booth, art by Gobert, music by Bradley Kirkendall. Everybody, listen up. I'm Cleo of Moronea. Tymon asked me to talk to you. He says there's a chance a few of you could be like me. Angry enough that you're no longer cowards. Ready to shake the world by its rotten foundations. Ready to unshackle yourselves. Listen up. Find out. Come join me. Come with me through the storm. Through the storm and back again. Southeast of here, across the sea, lies a rocky shore. Lots of cliffs. Tough navigating. That's where Moranea sits. Unpleasant place. But the cliffs are full of silver and electrum, overflowing with the stuff. Us Moraneans thought ourselves blessed because of that. Conquering Drakai, warrior king of blood and dirt, gave us a mountain keep overflowing with riches. He's the god of gold and gore. He'd blessed us. That was the general assumption. It's like thinking correlation is causation, as the philosophers say, not how physics or metaphysics works. You all know how it went, I guess. The Atreian Empire has its chokehold on your home, too. I'm not sure what price you all paid for it, or how long ago, or if you're still suffering, but I can't imagine it's good here. The Atreans have no kindness in them, just war and money, and somehow the blessing of the gods to endlessly chase both. Anyways, I think it's important I storytell a bit. Explain Moronea's history. This didn't start with me. We've been under the Atreian boot since the day that the gods first laced it. Monstrous Atreus and his children came down upon Moronea's walls some 400 years ago. Atreus and his son, Eclaton, they worked out some business with conquering Drakai. We had a temple honoring him. A statue eight feet tall cast in iron and gold filigree. We loved him, but Atreus had a venomous tongue. His poison words dripped into the ears of Drakai and undermined his love. Or maybe he never loved us. I like to blame the faithless spouse and the homewrecker both. We saw the armies, the boats full of murderous men at our shores, and we cried out to our warrior king God, and he aided the other side. Turns out, conquering Drakai was a lecher. We gave him gifts of gold. He had that in spades already. We gave him gifts of fruit and grain and beef. Maybe we were shit cooks. Atreus promised him brides. That was our missing piece. Drakai was looking to get his rocks off. Atreus killed our men and tossed their corpses to the sea. A proper burial. A nice measure of respect, murder notwithstanding. The women of Moronea had their throats slit and poured onto dry earth. Not a drop touched seawater. Their souls were signed and sealed, denied an afterlife, trapped in conquering Drakai's golden vaults, his eternally miserable brides. I hope they've since found a way to cuckold him. It'd be something of a vengeance. I don't know. That's how and why we fell under a train rule. Their first of many conquests. I apologize that my ancestors failed not just me, but also you. If they had stood stronger, I'd have been born free, and so would you all here in Paro. 
or if Dracai was not a traitor. But there's no use in commiserating on what could have been. I've been trying to focus on the future. Think about what I'm going to do now that the Atreans have spread as far as they have. I intend to spit in conquering Dracai's eye. I want to hang every Atreian soldier. Won't stop till I die. I want to see this empire burned and razed and shattered. I want my foremothers avenged, my sisters and daughters set free. In Moronea, I succeeded. We succeeded. I'm here to continue the cause. That is why Tymon brought me here to speak with you, why I came. To tell you how Moronea was set free with fire and knives and rage. To help you do the same. If you have not heard the news, let me be the first to speak it to you. Two months ago, Moronea cast off its chains. The mines were collapsed. The coinery was burned to the ground. Lord Governor Daltus, tyrant representative of Atreia, was slain. His blood never reached the sea. The story starts with a turn of phrase. A sailor's blessing our mothers would gift our fathers. When the men left for fishing and trading, the women would gather on the shores, wish them fair weather, and if the fair weather escaped them, we'd wish them through the storms and back again. We're a sailing people, so whenever someone had a shit task to do, really, we'd say the same words. May you pass through the storm and back again. Us women were banned from working on the sea, or near it. Can't have one of us going overboard, dying properly, dying peacefully. The Atreans made us women work in the coinery, made us work in the mines, and we'd tell each other every morning, may you pass through the storm and back again. Equal parts a statement of hope and ironic despair. May you weather the storm on dry land in the dry safety of the mines. It felt like we thought each day of work was its own storm. That coming home was back again. We said it in a short-sighted sort of way. A get-through-the-workday chant. I was one of the lucky ones. I didn't dig. I made coins. Making coins is repeat work. I stoked the fire, the silver melted, was poured into a press, stamped with Tyrant Croso's face. The smith tossed the coin in the cold water to quench. I'd take it from the water, and I'd clip the uneven edges. Had a special little set of shears for it. Made it a perfect circle. Made Croso's happy, perfect little coins. I'd get a reprimand if the coins weren't perfect, as if silver's worth more by circleness than by weight. Nonsense. I can hear it now. Daltus was supposed to govern, be in charge of the city. Instead, he'd spend all day at the coinery, managing the only part of Moronea that mattered to him, but absentee managing it. Sitting in a closed-off room, doing God's know what, fucking around and not helping. But I can hear his voice still. The only time he'd come down from his office was when the coins weren't perfect. He had a voice that was shrill but still drawled, Excuse me, miss. Missy, this coin has a sharp edge. It's not a circle. Coins are circles. You know that. He checked every coin, it turns out. Obsessed over them. Make us melt the bad ones back down again. Spend an hour over our shoulder making sure the next one was perfect. Like a parrot on your shoulder. Do it right, do it right. And the entire time you stay quiet to keep your job. So you don't starve. And that's what the storm was. Go work deep in the guts of the earth. Stoke, melt, press, quench, clip. 
five steps, over and over, made about 55 silver coins in a working day, 330 coins made a week. Who knows how many remade? An hour a day with the goddamn governor over your shoulder like he had nothing better to do. The smith I assisted complained the whole time. Complained in front of Daltus, too. The privileges of being a Trayan. 330 coins made a week, and he was keeping six a week. I was a Moranean. I was paid three. Daltus promised us raises if we hit goals. Tyrant Krosos needs 3,000 coins before the festival season. We need 500 by the end of solstice week. We gotta push. We can do better. And because we were all desperate and stupid and full of hope, we'd push. Hit the goal, but whoops! Over budget! Whoops! Grain's rotten. There's war in fake Landia. I swear there was a landslide at not a mountain. The gods demand a tribute. So we can't afford a raise this month. Try again later. His voice is burned in my brain. The fury... The burning void of bile I got in my stomach every day. Every fucking day. We made riches for men we'd never meet. Men who'd never thank us. We cooked the meal and ate the scraps. We burned our hands every day. We'd work until the knuckles hurt. You'd go home and they'd seize. You could barely grip the spoon to eat the gruel you couldn't afford. Lord Governor Daltus took those coins and shipped them across the sea. All we ever got in return was his reedy voice like a needle through the eardrum. Lord Daltus would tell us he was proud. Without our work, the Atreian state couldn't pay their soldiers. Without us, Krosos couldn't keep the Empire safe. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, do they do the bullshit here too? Or they call it the Acacian League? As if it's voluntary? As if Acacius and his sacred sea belongs to them. We burned our fingers to pay the soldiers who put their boots on our back if we complained. Paid them for the gift of fear. For the privilege of subservience. Fuck! Us women, we told ourselves, through the storm and back again. Make it through the thundering of the hammers. Make it through the steam and choking heat. Make it through. Go home. As if getting home was the end of it. As if home had no thunderclouds. Mend, cook, tend, sharpen, straighten, nail, tie, cut, chop, sew. Too many verbs a day. I did a lot of praying. Ithesis, Lady of Bronze, is a woman, too. I hoped she'd hear. Sympathize. Didn't do much, as far as I can tell. We serve the gods, it turns out. Not the other way around. So I just grit my teeth. Eventually there would be a day without bullshit. Eventually I'd get to sleep. Eventually the house will be clean when I get there. Eventually something. Eventually anything. Life is short and mean and then you die. But there were supposed to be silver linings and smooth sailing in there somewhere. And that wasn't just me. That was everybody. That was all the women, waiting on calm water and clear breezes. And seven months ago, Galena, thinking she's funny, what exactly was it that she said? I was complaining about the never-ending storm, about rough seas, and she says, 
What good would clear skies even do you, honey? It's not like the Atreans are going to let you sail. And how fucking true was that? Can you all relate? Is this what it feels like here in Paro 2? I think everyone has that moment. Everyone in this empire has a moment where the coin drops. When the truth comes to you. This is by design. This isn't natural life. This is how Atreans make it. This is how those bastards make you live it. And Atreian comes to your city and he points at you and he says, Cleo, go. Stoke, melt, press, quench, clip. And he's got a sword on his hip and you owe him rent and you have to buy his fish. It's your brother who catches the fish, but it belongs to Lord Governor Daltus. It's the house your family's lived on for generations, but it belongs to Lord Daltus. It's the coins that I made, but they belong to shitheel Daltus. But the revelation hit me like a hammer, like I was molten silver, just running around, red hot, no purpose. And the revelation stamps it on me. I was born in a storm, and I was stuck in it. If I wanted to go back again, I'd have to go all the way back. I'd have to go back before Lecher, Dracai, and murderous Atreus. Galena says that to me, and I know. Suddenly, it's crystal clear I have to kill Daltus. I have to ruin all of it so bad they don't send us another Daltus right after. And there's objections in the back of your head. Other people will get hurt if you try. Funny, I'm just supposed to suffer my whole life, so Galena doesn't suffer if I try to do something about it. Except Galena is suffering, and she doesn't do something about it. So Daltus doesn't hurt me. That Daltus was one of a kind. The circles within circles of fear he'd built us. Did I even need the introduction? Isn't it the same here? The same for you? That's why I decided Daltus was going to die. The problem was how. Daltus is a paranoid rabbit. Small, fidgety. He knows where to hide. Who to hide behind. He had this office with a tall bronze door. Only ever comes out surrounded by goons. I think he knew, deep down in his soul. Or maybe it wasn't a gut hunch. Maybe he consciously knew. Any solitary step of his was a step into the abyss. He knew one of us would kill him. And I make this choice. And the fates and the fortunes and the destinies kicked me in the shin. I made the choice the week Atreya fell apart. Some street rat, some absolute nobody, it's been said. He kills Tyrant Krosos. And not only does he kill Krosos, he kills Golden Eglida. Someone else out there thought like I did, murdered the person in charge, and went so far as to murder the person who would be in charge next. Overachiever. My respect to that crazy fuck. An inspiration. And the news hits, and I'm sitting there in envy. I'd spent months gathering collaborators. But someone else beat me to the punch. And I'd celebrate, except now Shithill Daltus is more fearful than ever. The city of Atreia is in flames. He won't be getting reinforcements. He won't be getting help. If there's riots in Morinea, he's finished. Except he swings so tense, he makes a mistake. He cracks under the pressure. Couldn't take the fear he dished out to others. Daltus inadvertently strikes the first blow in the Morinean Revolt. He's actually the one to draw blood first. 
if him keeping us mired in misery isn't the first blow. I think his imposed misery should count as the start of it. He declares new rules. There's 8,000 Moraneans on the cliffs, 600 of his men. Even if you count that half of us are children or elderly, we've got numbers. Even if you count the men and women crippled by the mines, we've got numbers. So he sends his men out, fast as thunder, cold as bronze. They confiscate weapons. They confiscate knives that are too long. Doesn't matter if it's knives for cutting and cleaning the fish. If it's over a span, it's theirs. They confiscate tools. They get suspicious over walking sticks that are too sturdy. They have the silversmith's hammers chained to their anvils. Door to door, three apiece. The goons come, carrying spears on their shoulders, armor and helmets on. Falsely polite. Excuse us, ma'am, if you have a minute, please. Be so kind as to turn in your cutlery. It's for your safety. Can't have folks running around town with a paring knife. Far too dangerous. And it's not just the weapons and tools and crutches they steal. And I mean steal. No one got a bent coin for their property. They also hurt people. Morrow's son said, That's my father's peg leg. You can't take that. But it was sturdy wood with bronze banding. You could have clubbed someone's brains out with old Morrow's peg leg. So the soldiers asked for it. They were refused. So they beat everyone in that house to death. I don't know if they meant to go to the death. The soldiers, I mean. But that's what has to happen, right? Three men take up arms against your crippled father. What are you supposed to do? Wait for it to be over? Watch them do it? Young Matthias intervenes. They beat him. He fights back. He fights back because he has no clue if they'll stop. He can't put his arms over his head and pray. He's got his crippled father and his wife in the house. He has to try and save them. But because he fights back, they beat him to death. There's no winning that game. It's rigged. There's just death. And we took the confiscation sitting down. Because if we don't have weapons, Daltus isn't afraid. And our elder, Platathos, he's a godly man. And he said that if Daltus isn't afraid, he's not killing anybody. Except... Oops, never mind. That hope flickered out. That hope was snuffed out when we watched them throw Maro and Matthias to the sea, when we cleaned their wives and dressed them for burial. Matthias had a son, eleven years old, was hiding in the laundry basket when it happened. We had to pull him out of there crying, explain to him, explain to his aunt what happened, how he'd be living with her now. I had to look Tana in the eye and let her know. And it's sick of me to say it, but I was already as angry as I could be. There was no room for even more anger inside of me. I couldn't have gotten angrier. So those deaths gave me hope. Gave me hope that people saw now. That they saw how either Daltus died or we did. I didn't go to the people who shouted and screamed about the injustice of it. I didn't go to the grumblers. I shared no wine or salt with them. Couldn't risk the folk who'd run their mouths. I searched for the quiet people, for the despairing, the ones deepest in the storm, who are as close to giving up on back again as can be. You meet a man and he's got hollow eyes. He's bitter and pickled and brined by the unfairness of it all. 
That's the kind of upstanding guy that will join a revolution and stay quiet about it. Daltus is afraid. He's so afraid. I wasn't going to give him a crowd to take aim and arms at. I needed smooth operators, cool-headed and calculating. I approach the quiet folks in the cracks and corners of life. I find them in the darkest spots of Moronea, and I tell them, Hello, I'm Cleo. Let's change things. And I don't tell them my real name because I'm not taking risks. I don't ask for theirs. At first, I met a lot of resistance. Complaints, specifically about how the weapons were already taken and thrown into the sea, drowned and rusted. Isn't that sick, by the way? They throw a goddamn sword to the sea, but they won't let us women rest where we belong. Let me tell you a secret. Same thing I told my co-conspirators. Bronze is a comfort and a boon. Sharp ends are not a necessity. If the law can kill a man with a rope, so can you. If the gods can kill a man with fire, so can you. If Nightshade, Oleander, and Castor Beans can do it, so can you. Ruthlessness and ingenuity are available to anyone brave enough to grasp them. I let that word spread. I let it be known. I gathered like-minded people. People like you. Of course, it didn't go swimmingly. Other people never do what's convenient. Maro's wife had a brother. Cantankerous man with a horde of grandchildren. Matthias's sister, Tana, went and spoke with them. She gathered anyone who had a drop of Maro's blood, shared wine and salt and rage with them. I wasn't angered that she did it. I'm not complaining about someone stealing my thunder. I was angered that she did it loudly. She had near 70 people in her garden. Tana was preaching to them. That woman had conviction and dedication like I could only dream of. She had snuck past the men, guarding the funerary docks. She had dived down there. In the blazing twilight, she dove and found Maro's peg leg. When I first heard, I giggled at it. I had to. The morbidity of it. Tana swinging a dead man's leg around like a weapon of legend? Like Haada come back to turn Mornea's soil red with blood again. A dead man's peg-fucking leg. But I have to respect her. To break the laws, not just Atreian laws, the laws of the gods. To spit in the face of conquering Dracai like that. To dishonor Acacius's peace like that. To drag a part of Maro's body back from Sincomedy's door. The fucking gall of it. A nobody. No high birth, no magic to her, no faded words, and she dove into Acacius's sea in sheer defiance. The first Moronean woman in 400 years to touch seawater. She searched among the bones of men and whales. She faced the dead, faced their empty sockets, thrust her hands betwixt their ribs where their hearts had been, seeking, seeking. She found her treasure against the will and wish of every god of Moronea. I love and fear that woman. She had her whole clan in that yard, screaming bloody vengeance, destroying my element of surprise, stealing men and women I could have bent to the cause, getting shit-heeled Daltus to pay attention. Of course he sent men. It is a testament to his hubris that he only sent one hundred. He had six hundred at his disposal and assumed just a hundred would do it. Had he sent twice that number, Tana's clan would all have died. 
Instead, it was a bloody massacre for everyone involved. I mean for the soldiers, too, because Tana was smart. She knew if she spoke and gathered her kin, Daltus would respond. He's too twitchy, too low, and vicious not to. He'd do it, so the goons were expected. I think she just didn't expect so many of them. The grieving relatives were prepared, experienced. The fishermen among them had carved out sturdy, gnarled trees, made new harpoons, hardened their tips to deadly points with fire. The children were hiding on the nearby rooftops with heavy rocks. The women were boiling oil and pitch. A cousin of Tana's, a mad creative, had made these. These were marvels. He made little pouches, I think from fish bladders and skin. It's a shame he was stabbed. I couldn't ask him. Near a hundred of these little pouches, filled with crushed cowhorn peppers, ground mustard seed, asbestos fibers, pulverized dust from the mines. I can't remember his name, but he gave one or two to everyone in the crowd who'd take them. These little pouches went a long way to keeping the fight even. The hundred soldiers huffed down Moronea's passageways, spears and shields at the ready facing forward. But they're out of practice. They're retired, came to Moronea for an easy posting. They're red-cheeked and out of breath, out of rank and file. Or maybe it's the helmets. Maybe they didn't look up because of the helmets. They barge into Tana's garden, convinced us a fight with twenty bronzeless men. Chaos erupts. The children throw rocks. And it's silly. You all did it too in your youth. Threw a little rock at someone. Hurts and stings like a fistful of bees. Or maybe a medium rock and bruised your cousin Nico in his stupid bastard face. But I'm talking big rocks. The size of melons. The size of cats. Enough to dent a helmet. Crack a skull. They fling them down from the roofs. And then the little pouches. These things explode on contact. Each side street is full of 15, 20 soldiers, half of them sneezing, coughing, wheezing, clawing at their teary eyes. Like I said, they're huffing. They're getting lungfuls of mustard seed and throats full of thorns. The women come next. They spring open their windows and toss boiling oil and bubbling pitch on the bastards, throw panfuls of burning charcoal. The powdered mix ignites from the heat of it all. As a surprise one, too, it's a nasty opener. A mean ambush. I can't imagine how painful. Painful, but not deadly enough. The soldiers were out of form. Maybe had doubts about just killing a whole family like that. Maybe didn't start out treating it like a battle. Attacking them like that? I can't tell you it's wrong. I wish every second of it was as painful as it looked. But it made the skirmish into a war. And they retaliated in kind. They retaliated with trained spear points. With shields with the heartlessness of men who'd beaten and killed many times before. Tana's folk, they did what they could. I did what I could. I killed a soldier myself. I was in the alleyways, having watched them go past. I ran up behind one who had fallen back, was trying to clear the oil from his eyes. I had the clippers from the coinery, metal cutting scissors I'd stolen, taken apart. I drove one scissor blade into his neck, fled before his fellows could find me. It felt good. People say killing is hard. Killing your oppressors isn't hard. I don't regret it. I'd seen the soldiers in the front stabbing at children on the rooftops, impaling children, toppling them from the roofs. Fucking monsters. I don't regret it. I don't regret that I don't regret it. Atreian soldiers are owed nothing. They choose to be the filth that they are. His blood was cold on my hands like it came from some cross-eyed lizard.
I'm getting lost in the memory of it. Enough of that. It was a disaster for everyone involved. Almost every soldier was wounded. Burnt from oil and pitch was the worst and most common of it. I suspect quite a few of them won't breathe easy as long as they live. About thirty died. I never heard the final number. Tana's folk fared far worse. Half the children were murdered. Most of the men were murdered. About a third of the women were murdered. Then Elder Platathon arrived. I'd mentioned him earlier, right? A half-baked healer with illusions of purpose. I'd want to give him credit for saving lives, but I honestly think he's as bad as the soldiers. A dyed-in-the-wool collaborator. He's got that true priestly way about him. Sunken eyes, radiates wisdom. His voice wavers as if on the edge of crying, but it's commanding somehow that he sounds so vulnerable. An authority that comes from having suffered more than anyone else. Elder Platathon had the perfect veneer of martyrdom, a sacred shell of authority. Platathon's voice warbles out across the violence. Stop, he yells, and people do. Tana flees, but everyone else stops. He waddles in, leaning on his cane as if the weight of the world rests on his crooked shoulders, runs a hand through his beard as if the answers to all life's misery is hidden in his whiskers. He offers the soldiers peace, not his folk or flock, not the wronged Moranaeans. He offers the soldiers peace. He's got strapping young lads following him, wrapped and anointed, done up like it's a holiday. With a weary sigh, he offers the soldiers to take the remaining victims himself, to guard them and punish them and make sure they stop resisting. He wants peace in the city. He wants no one else hurt. He'll do anything to stop the violence. It disgusts me. That negative peace. The peace of everyone keeping their eyes downcast and accepting that life is misery and cannot be better. Peace of utter surrender. I hate it. Platathon's choir boys round up the victims, bind their hands with holy cloth, as if that makes it better than chains, marks their foreheads with red clay to indicate they have transgressed. He orders them to temple, to make obeisance, to beg forgiveness before the gods. He doesn't make demands of the soldiers. Personally begins assisting with their wounds, smiles at them, orders the bodies of the dead be hidden from the public view, demands things to be set aright. I will find Tana, he promises them. I will root out further conspirators, other villains. There need be no more bloodshed. I'll extinguish the fire burning within this city. Makes an oath, a decree. He mentions that he knew the rumors, knew of my quiet men and women. Nothing is airtight, nothing stays between colluders. Just as the names of my quiet fellows reached his ear, so does his betrayal reach mine. I learned through the grapevine that he intends to extinguish my plots before they've played out. I'm glad I'm a fast runner. I'm glad I plan ahead. Elder Platathon, in his self-importance, has decided not to give our names away. He intended to deal with us himself, to keep the peace. As if locking us away will buy freedom for anyone else in the city. I bolt. I sprint as hard as I ever have. I get in touch. No one's happy to hear it. Everyone thought my plans were for the perpetual tomorrow. It sounded like most people, when I spoke to them, thought the plans were intricate, Daydreams of revenge, little fantasies of freedom. But the game is up. Their names are known and tainted. I'd recite the names for you, but for what? 
You never knew Jason. Never knew Aletta. The game is up for the thirty of us I'd connected. And thirty isn't a lot. Maybe it's hubris for thirty people to have made the choice we did. But the thirty of us aren't suffering because others are apathetic to the cause. Suffering can be alleviated if you fight hard enough. So hand in hand, circumstances and I push them to fight hard enough. Within two hours, my plan is unfolding. We weren't ready to unfold it, but Platathon wasn't ready to catch us in time. Daltus wasn't ready for us to hit him where it hurts. We burn the mines. All thirty of us dive deep into the guts of the mines and strike matches to jugs of oil we planted, to piles of cloth or hay, to timbers, to equipment. And it's not an inferno. The caves don't turn into some hell. They don't bellow flames. It's not mystical. The mines just collapse as timbers turn to ash. The timbers we'd sabotaged come in late at night and tampered with. Wing after wing collapses. Adrian doesn't make it out of the mines with the rest of us. I don't know who made the fatal mistake, but I honor his sacrifice. I'm sorry he got crushed. We make it free, and Adrian is trapped. Dies. The cliffs shake. The cliffs rumble like the horns of the dead declaring war against the living. Like Armageddon. We caught self-righteous Platathon and shit-heeled Daltus with their pants down. Daltus is in the adjacent coinery, probably crying, probably hysteric. His metrics are ruined. The deadlines are finished. Somebody think of the expense sheets! Meanwhile, Elder Platathon was still searching the city for us, toddling and shuffling around with the light of the gods dribbling from the corners of his mouth. Neither fathomed we'd let fly the arrow as fast as we did. As the smoke spouts skywards, as the sound of the collapse reverberates in the earth, the immensity of our protest is made clear. The mine is ruined. The thing about collapsing a mine, it's not hard-packed earth. We didn't overpack it. Recreate the volume of earth that once was dug out. Volume is just a matter of hard work, just digging a lot of dirt. What we'd done is structural damage. That's the secret to getting someone to pay attention and beg your forgiveness. Structural damage. The mine isn't safe. The places that collapsed? You can't clear them. You don't know what shifted where, where the sinkholes are going to be, where the next landslide, the next avalanche of mud will come from, where the vein of ore went, what pockets of vapors got popped open for you to choke and cross your eyes on. No one's fool enough to try and clean that up. No amount of fear will drive another man or woman in there. The mines are done. At least for the foreseeable generation. It'll take years of careful work before it's safe to operate again. Maybe a decade before anyone will draw silver from it. Morinea is no longer valuable, no longer worth fighting for. Unless you were Morinean and had no place else to go. The Atreans would find no profit here and Atreans only go where they can make a metaphorical killing after their literal killing. I'm putting a heavy emphasis on this for a reason. Just killing Daltus means they send a worse man over to take his place. The secret to these things, the way you get away with killing Daltus, is making it a business loss to avenge him. Daltus himself, in one of his Engagement in Energy meetings, told us it took 1,700 silver coins to launch a ship. A reconquering fleet would cost those heartless fucks near 50,000. And for what? 
They'd loot 12 bent copper coins from the lot of us Moraneans and have nothing else to steal? The investors are never going to come on board. And if they aren't on board, the soldiers, literally, aren't on board. And that was us getting started with the sabotage. Myself and three others, we go to try and start dealing with the soldiers locked away within the coinery. We want to try and start the talks. Tell them to hand Daltus over, that we kill Daltus and they can go the fuck home. Because we need someone to deliver the bad news to Tyrant Krosos' corpse and its successors. The rest of my quiets, minus poor Adrian, go to the docks. Daltus had a fleet? That's not the right word for it. Every twenty years or so, the same twelve ships do a round trip. Take the retired soldiers back to Atreya, bring new idiots to come and test the boots on our asses. Twelve creaking old boats, held together by stubborn rope and wizened screws, more fungus than wood, more mold than sails. We sink one. The coinery's top. If you're on it, you can see the docks. If you lean far enough over the edges, they'd see that they're a ship down. And we go the extra league to make sure we set that ship aflame. So even when it gets dark, they can see what the thirty of us are bargaining with. Of the two I brought with me, I've got Corin on my left. Not that his name matters to you. He's a lean hawk of a man, but he has a voice like an albatross. A warm baritone that honks across every mile of Moranea's cliffs. You can hear him laugh for a mile. The dead can hear him sneeze. Corin calls out through the boarded windows of the coinery. Grotto, we've come to bargain. Grotto was the chief of the soldiers. A hard woman, not kind or fair, but not as mean as the worst of her men. Daltus leans over the edge of the coinery's roof, safe behind his barricaded doors. His voice cracks, nasal as I ever heard it. What do you want? We tell him to fuck off. I'm not a thespian, can't really do voices. If I tried to do Corin from my diaphragm, Daltus from my nose, this would turn into a comedy. After I'm dead, someone should make this story funny. I don't have the distance for that. What I'm getting at... I'm not reciting the conversation. I'll summarize. Daltus asks us what we want. That means he saw the burning ship. That means he knows he's close to screwed. People in the winning position don't bargain. It's a good sign. We tell Daltus to fuck off and get Grata. Give her our threats and our terms. They get to leave the island with no more deaths, without them having to kill 8,000 of us to get away. We lie and tell them we whacked Elder Platythos so they don't realize if they wait long enough, he'll capitulate to them. Build new boats for them. We tell them all they have to do is leave Daltus behind for us to kill. Every hour they wait, we burn a ship. And to make a point, Corin gives a bird call. Well, a goose call and a second one goes up in flames. There's a running theme in stories where it only ever rains when it's meant to be worse. When it's as bad as can be and someone jokes it can't get worse, it starts raining. For us, it starts storming. But I actually think that's a great thing. It works in our favor. My men and women know how to set proper fires, to make use of pitch and rope and get sabotage situated. The soldiers start to cheer at the rain, like it's salvation, like the boats are safe. Daltus whoops at us, and then they see the boats are still burning. To make it all better, it's a real nasty storm, and Elder Platythos is a fragile man with no stomach to him. He can't imagine someone would make trouble in this kind of rain, so he never investigates what's what. We get so much damn time to scare them. 
it gets tense. The soldiers get, they start considering the options, but they don't like losing. They're professional winners, spent a career with their boots on our necks. There's too much ego to not try and swipe back at us, to try and feel like they're in charge and won something. Grata's fucking ruthless, it turns out. We heard Daltus start to screech and plead, and she tells us she's locking him in his office, barricading him in there, stuck. But they want a return of blood for blood. Grata's husband died in the fight at the garden. Fucking deserves it, that fuck, if you ask me. Grata says she wants for us to stop burning the ships and go get Tana. She bleeds, we leave, you bleed Daltus. We can hear that shitheel rodent protesting through his tiny little window. I tell Corin to pretend, to keep him chatting. Tell them I'm running to try and find Tana and trick her back here. Of course I wasn't. I had my plan B. The coinery is massive, carved four stories directly out of the cliffside, connected to old mine shafts, to docks that ship in and out, walkways and paths to the non-essentials, meaning a way for the washerwomen to come in and clean discreetly, places to toss trash out the window, places to toss food waste out so that it creates a neat little feeding frenzy, but not next to the in-and-out dock so the fishermen can recycle the waste into bait, but not get in the way of a train commerce. What I mean to say is, there's 600 soldiers in that place trying to keep it tied down, but it's a massive maze of industry, and I'm putting my, there, silver, on the soldiers not knowing the place. Which of them ever passed by the laundry room? It's got boiling vats to keep the sweat from ruining the smith's aprons, washing sweat and soot and brine out of cracked leather. Smells like a goat shat itself to death inside a tub of hot vinegar. I'm not exaggerating. Close your eyes. Take a second to imagine what that smells like. The soldiers never passed through that room. Don't know if they even know it existed, but they didn't. I'm going on long about this because I don't know if you folks understand. 8,000 people in Moronea. 5,000 working adults, if not more. Near 2,000 worked in the mines and coinery. The coinery was the beating heart of our world. The guts of it. The largest organ of it. 600 soldiers can't keep it locked or guarded. Us workers knew. So I do what I know has to be done. Crawl in through a garbage chute. Didn't smell nice. Slimy. Putrid. It's in my memory as the worst of the whole affair. Everything happened fast. The mines, the ships, even the horror of counting bodies in Tana's garden. Crawling up the chute took eons. But unadulterated rage is going to push you to do damn fool things. And we could send Daltus back with the rest of them. But that's somehow losing. Letting the architect of our oppression go home safe wasn't an option. It was a stupid risk, but it needed taking. And I don't know if I got lucky. I can't say. Luck played a role with it, at least. Maybe the soldiers just didn't sacrifice enough women to Drakai this time. Stars aligned, and it worked. Stars aligned, and so did years of training. When you worked for Daltus in his coinery, you learned where to sneak and slouch, where to duck out to when you needed to patch the cuts on your hands without being sent home and losing your pay, where to hide when Daltus makes you so mad you need a minute before you make a mistake, when he said, time to lean, time to clean, at you right after you just finished mopping the fucking place, when you're too tired to stand, when your eyes sting from the ash and you can't cry in front of the guards. 
you learn which windows you can secretly sit at during lunch thinking about jumping into the water. Thinking about jumping into the water and dying right and getting peace and escaping Moranea and not letting the Atreans cast your soul to the restless earth. Or to look at that little blue square of water and catch an unnoticed breath and overcome your despair. You learn where these imperialist fucks don't check. To make things easier, the sound of the storm outside is loud. The rain on the walls is like fingers on a drum. I hear that rain, the roaring sea, and the absurdity, the insanity of what I'm trying to do. I push it down. The words sprung to my lips like an instinct. I said them before I could think about wanting to. May you pass through the storm and back again. I could do this. I move through the whole place undetected. The guards are busy trying to vote on escape. Their leadership is busy telling them voting is mutiny. They're a mess. I'm moving through. I keep worrying. What do I do if they're guarding this door? Can I lie to them? Toss a stone down the corridor? Sneak past as they investigate? I'm going to die at his door. I'm, I'm so close. And these Atreans are going to kill me at his feet. This idea was insane. But that's the wonderful thing about Atreans. They were overconfident. They're stupid hateful. They weren't guarding him, didn't lock his door, didn't even close the big bronze door. They tied him up, not even with the god's damn rope. They basically swaddled the shitheel in workers' aprons, wrapped and bound him to his office chair in workers' aprons. Perfect. Turns out they found his voice just as grating as us Moraneans did. They gagged him, too. That's what he gets employing goons, giving greedy and heartless folks swords and spears. Training them to see people the same as they see fish. The minute someone offered them a better deal, they jumped ship. Or rather, they were preparing to jump to their ships at any moment. He sees me and he knows. He knows what I am and why I'm here. He doesn't know who I am specifically. No clue what my name is. I was a series of numbers in his skull. That's her! The one who never smiles. She hits quota 92% of the time. The one who disappoints. I respect... No, no, I don't respect that he didn't struggle, didn't try to beg through the gag. I rejoice, I rejoice because I know why he didn't resist. His last minute when he saw me, he felt the despair. He felt the despair and defeat every Moranean woman felt for 400 years. The lifelong pit of misery in her stomach, the hopelessness of someone whose blood won't reach the sea. I'd like to pretend to you, to lie to you and tell you I threw his body into molten silver, give you some poetry. But I was a lucky woman that night, a lucky executioner, not an ironic judge. I killed him quick, precise, made sure any of his blood was caught by the cocoon of the aprons, didn't want someone mopping it tomorrow and letting the drops get bucketed out the window. I dragged his corpse to the smelting pits, tossed him in the one that was still running hottest from the morning's work. No point in extinguishing the fire that you'd need tomorrow. The pit was still warm enough to roast him like a goat. All the blood would bake and evaporate. The smell would attract guards quick, but that's what I had on hand. That was through the storm. Next came the and back again part. The more difficult part. After Daltus's acrid smoke wafted through the whole damn place, I can hear the buzz of the soldiers waking up to it. Being a mouse in the corners only works when no one knows you're there. I hear them turning tables over, smashing closets open. The chase would be exciting to retell, but it's embellishment to focus on it. 
I spent heart-stopping minutes slinking to my hiding places and realizing I'd get caught. I jumped out a window after a short and frantic chase. I didn't make it to the bottom floor, so I had to jump. Couldn't just crawl down the waste tunnels. Too slow. Horrible idea, as it turned out. I was down to the third story at that point. I'd watched the men dive, inflate their egos and chase adrenaline, shape themselves into arrow tips, fingers breaking gracefully into the surf, perpendicular to the water. Beautiful because of how dangerous it was. I'd always wanted to do it, to feel the water. I thought I understood the theory. Except I had no moment to brace myself, and I dived out a goddamned window. Didn't have the time to look down, check for rocks. Couldn't have looked because it was dark and stormy outside. I caught a breath, burned my eyes looking directly into a lightning bolt flashing over the water, plummeted blind and ill-angled into the roaring waves. And this is the part where I got luckiest. I should have died. I only permanently maimed myself. I hit the water like a sack of hammers hit an anvil. The world rang from it. It sounded like Acacius God-King of the Sea swore in the surprise of me. No other word for it. I didn't do a good job of keeping my arms stiff. They kicked up from the force of the waters. I hyperextended my thumbs and fingers, sprained my wrists, popped my elbows too far back, the nerve pinching. I dislocated my right shoulder, whipped my neck. I screamed in shock and took in seawater. I'd always imagined, even in the toughest of storms, that the underside of the sea would be peaceful. Suspended animation in the arms of God. The sweet and loving embrace of Acacius of his sacred sea where man was born and where he is bound to return upon his death. Never before in my life had I been fully submerged, been surrounded by water. It hurt more than anything has hurt me before or since. The salt burned and stung. I passed out. Tana rescued me. Tana, that mad and beautiful woman. She was the bravest of all us girls and had spent her youth sneaking out to sea at night. Somehow didn't drown across thousands of solo swims. Her years of training and defiance saved my life. She had hidden on the coast in the shadow of the coinery. The last place any Atreian or Moranean would look for a woman. She saw my leap from the window, gambled I was someone worth saving. Just as she had found Maro's peg leg, she found me. Wooden, meant for the grave. I can't thank her enough. I should have died. Into the storm, there to stay. By the time I regained consciousness, the world had already leapt forward without me. The shots were called. The soldiers surrendered and agreed to leave once the storm died down. Elder Platathos, collaborator and cockroach, swindled his way into the negotiations. Decided that the soldiers' surrender was his to receive. People were celebrating. My hands... My arms, my shoulders, and back, and arms. It all hurts. I can't write. Can't trim round little coins. Everything trembles, as hard as I try to bronze my nerves and as hard as I grit my teeth. That's the dirt-cheap price I paid for victory. I don't know how I meant to keep fighting. I can't hold a weapon. I can barely hold a spoon. But I'm here speaking to you. That's how I start fighting again. How I dive into the storm again. Because, being honest, what they say about revenge is true. It doesn't complete you or make you whole. I made light talk of killing Daltus because it didn't sate me. I'm just as hateful, just as bitter, just as righteous and full of fire 
just as full of hope. And revenge is never as complete as you'd want. Daltus was doing a job. Someone paid him to make me hurt. Someone paid him to keep Moronea under the boot. For four hundred years, my foremother's blood did not reach the sea. I have so much work left to do. Atreya needs to be burnt to the ground. Someone's gotta kill Drakai and open his vaults. In the warm days after, in the sunshine, people talked about rebuilding our homes. People like Corin, their voices like his, loud and bright and ringing with mirth. I never had a husband. I never had a future and after. This is what the world molded me into, what I chose to become. I am anger. Others will be joy. I know what I am. I love what I am. I will be the one to open those vaults. So I, and people like me, knew we couldn't stay. We weren't the folks for building. We are the folks for tearing down. Tana and I, a few others, we loved Moranea enough to kill for it. We love her still, but she's not ours. Not where we belong, at least. Some of you, you're rebuilders, craftsmen. There's room in your heart for other things, so I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for joining the cause anyway. For fighting anyway. I live on the dream of the cities you will raise. On the freedom of your children. The rest of you, the quiet ones, the despairing and the angry, I'm here for you. After you man the barricades and your city of Paro is free, after the battles, if you're all lucky like I was, I'm inviting you. The Atreian Empire has 100 such holdings, 100 Moraneas, 100 Paros. Come with me. Take to the sea. Crawl across the map. Fight on every field. Tear down every wall. I invite you. Come with me. Fight and thrive. Come with me. Pass through the storm and back into it again. Through the storm and back again and again and again. Thank you for listening to Through the Storm. The next episode of this audio novella series, titled Down the Mountain, will be published online Monday, April 6th. Fantasy counterprogramming takes artists seriously. All artists involved were compensated for their work. You can find links to their other work in the description below. Thank you to everyone who listened, liked, and shared previously. We passed our initial goal of 137 unique listeners. I'd like to see if we can hit 237 this time. Please spread the word to anyone you think would be interested. Also, leave your thoughts so we can make each episode better and better. Have a great day or evening, and we'll see you next time.